Lord, as we um, think of those lyrics that we just sang, that your glory would just be proclaimed over and over and over again, that your praises would be sung out and spoken over and over and over again, that you would fill the earth and skies with your praise. That's our desire, Lord. Use us, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to be returning back to the book of Acts. And so Acts chapter 5, verses... Um, oh, yes, I forgot a 2 on there. This is why Ken prayed for my memory. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be a long one if we start at Acts 5 and go through Acts 26. <laughs> Let's start in chapter 25, um, verses 23 to 27. All right, so um, coming, we took a little break for our from our Acts series, and we're resuming this Acts series this morning after stopping to look at um, what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so... Acts 25, starting with verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice, this is the king and his wife, came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, who's the governor, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me Patiently, The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. 
King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That little phrase there, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, means it's hard for you to wrestle against my will. Then I ask, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and all and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes And turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea. Then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short or long, I pray to God 
that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. Loving to tell a story. I don't know if you have a story that just gushes out of you that you just love to share, but um, I do, and I've got permission to share it, and Dane's rolling his eyes already. (laughs) Um, So I love to tell the story of when Dane and I first met. It was about 35 years ago, and I was a nursing student right across the river um, over at St. Mary's. It was in the evening shift. I was up on the pediatric unit, and my nursing professor said that she had a younger brother, and I was all ears. I was supposed to be doing my charting, but I'm listening to her conversation, and so then I just perk up, and I go, oh, is he dating anybody? No. Is he cute? Do you have a picture of him? Like, how bold was I? And then... As time would go on, we have a blind date set up. My first and only blind date. It worked out great. (laughs) So the day arrives and I try, I was going to chicken out and I was going to call him. Um, that was the time where there was no cell phones yet. And, um, anyway, and I tried calling his home because I was just going to chicken out and say I couldn't go. And, um, anyway, no, he had already left. There was no answer. I had tried on all my roommates and the suite mates' clothes. Like, I've been through, what do you wear for a blind date? So I remember wearing a red sweater and a gray corduroy skirt and sending my roommates down when the house mother rang that he was down in the lobby. I sent my house, my roommates down to check him out. They came back, yeah, he's cute. So anyway, (laughs) so we go on this day, and he was these beautiful blue eyes. And he takes me to a movie. We went to see The Prodigal. It was a Christian movie. I was impressed by that. Then we went to the Beltline Bar and had wet burritos. And as we were reflecting yesterday, I think that was my first introduction to a wet burrito. And um, man, oh man, was that a good introduction. (laughs) And then um, here it is, 35 years later. We've been married for 33 years This is a story that I love to tell and retell because it reminds me of the details of when we met. It reminds me of our love. It reminds me of our relationship, that it went from just meeting an acquaintance to becoming committed in marriage. It's a story that when I tell it, the kids like to hear it too because it reminds them and kind of grounds them in our love and our promises to one another. It's a story I love to share. It's a story I know I live through. Paul has a story that he loves to share, that he lived through, and it's a greater story that he loves to tell, and it's the story of Jesus. It's a story of his encounter 
with Jesus. And you'll notice that this isn't the first time in Acts that he's recounted this. When did he first meet Jesus? It's both facts. It was on a certain day and he was going on this Damascus road and he was on his way to persecute Christians. And there's this relationship of this knowing of Jesus. There was a life change that happened when Saul met Jesus. He had a name change, actually, from Saul to Paul. He went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He went from being a murderer to being an evangelist. Think about that. Life change. Paul remembers with love this story that he tells of forgiveness of sins, of what Jesus had come to do and an offer that we could repent and turn and have forgiveness of sins if we exercise faith to believe in him. When Paul speaks, I'm sure he's reminded and encouraged and strengthened even as he stands before kings and governors and all the prestigious people of that town He remembers who he's in relationship with, who's made a promise to him. He remembers what his identity is. He's a servant and a witness. But let's think about that a minute. What kind of relationship is that? Well, actually, if we call Jesus Lord, then that means he's Lord of me. He's Lord of Paul. And so Paul considers himself a willing servant because of the goodness, because he's a witness to God's love. Jesus is Lord and he is love. And Paul is a servant and a witness to Jesus. I ran across this quote this week, and I want to share this with you from one of the commentaries says, when our basic purpose in life is to help others find the grace which set us free, we become courageous communicators. When we, our purpose in life is to tell people and gush about the good news of Jesus and what he's done to set us free from our sin, from our guilt, and from so many other chains that would try to bring us down, Right, Jackie, I'm just looking at you and thinking about your testimony about fear, right? Just like the way that the Lord just sets us free. We become courageous communicators, or in other words, we just gush about it. Right? We just, this is such good news. You know when there's good news, like, okay, like people like um, Beltline burritos and they go on the reviews, right? They just want to gush about it. Like this wet burrito is just amazing. Like who would ever thought put sauce on a wet burrito, like put a burrito, put sauce, it's wet. Oh, and it's yummy and put a little more cheese on there. Yes, please. Thank you. All right. We gush about wet burritos. Do we gush about this one who gave us life for us? I think that this is the story that Paul loved so well, the person that he loved so well. And I think that he was completely liberated as he stood and spoke before these people. I want to point out that Paul says, I um, consider I'm very fortunate, he says. I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today. Think about this. 
Paul is facing all these accusations of death, and he's gone before every important person in town. And he's saying, I consider myself fortunate. Why would he consider himself fortunate to be in those circumstances? If he truly is living to tell and to be a witness to Jesus, well, he's got a whole audience. You know, sometimes people come to town and they set up a stage and they hope to gather a crowd and 20 people trickle in. Well, here it is that Paul has a full packed house. He considers himself fortunate. I believe when he says, I feel fortunate, I feel joy. I feel hopeful. I feel excited, actually, about this. He's not begrudging standing before these people. God's given him an opportunity to talk about hope. Do you notice how many times hope was mentioned in there? The hope of the Jews, the hope that they're living for day and night, the hope that was promised in the prophets. And he... I wonder if he even stood there feeling fortunate because this was a fulfillment of what Matthew or what was said in Matthew that Jesus said about you're going to speak before kings, right? And here he is. He could have not orchestrated this. Do you not know that if you want to talk in front of somebody that's very um, important person, you can't just um, ring him up and go, hey, I'd like to talk to you and I'd like to talk to you about my topic. No, it usually comes by invitation. And so I think for that reason too, perhaps Paul started this with, I feel so fortunate. Now there were varying reactions to what Paul said. Festus shouts out, you're insane. How's that when you've just been faithful and we're looking forward to telling your good story? Oh, King Agrippa says you don't think in such short order that you're going to have me converting to be a Christian. Or it, in some translations, it's like, I'm, I'm on my way. Like, I'm, I'm being persuaded, but I, I'm not there. I'm not there quite yet. For all of the ones that were there, they all together said, we see no charge that is appropriate for Paul. We see no charge of any wrongdoing. What I find sad about what's recorded here for us in history about the response is that we don't have any recorded conversions. We don't have any record of anybody in that room saying, this is true, this is the hope that we've been looking for. Now, when King Agrippa said, you don't think in such short amount of time you're going to convert me to be a Christian, do you? How long did it take for Saul to get converted? In an instant, when that bright light, when Jesus appeared to him and made himself known, there was like an acknowledgement, like, this is God. When Jesus hung on the cross and the one next to him on the cross, he, he believed in a moment, in an instant, and he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. What a sad, sad thing. If the last time and the only time perhaps that they heard an invitation to believe in Jesus, that they thought, I've got more time to think about this. Or what if it's recorded that you say, 
I believe that everybody that believes in Jesus is insane. And that's recorded. And that'll be what's played and reminded on the day when Jesus returns to usher in his kingdom. Friends, I find this to be like, I just even wrote, like call to respond right here. Like, does anybody, does anybody feel like they're wavering on the fence? Like, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure if this is credible. I'm not sure if this is reasonable to think that Jesus died and rose from the grave. I'm not sure if it's reasonable. But I know my life is missing something and I've been longing for hope. Today is the day that you can believe right now. Jesus may be opening your eyes to say, I'm real. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. Yes, I believe. He comes after. He opens eyes. And that's the time to respond. Now's the time to respond. Don't let this moment go by without saying, yes, Lord. I want to talk about the grace that God gives Paul because this grace is available to each one of us as we tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. God gives Paul peace. Paul stands in front of this whole group of people and he gestures. I'm getting ready to talk now. And he gestures. If you're feeling nervous and clammy hands and dry mouth, you don't have this. (laughs) Now I'm going to talk. And I'm going to ask you to listen patiently because I've got a lot to say. Friends, these are not the words that come when you're an anxious public speaker. And so I believe that the Lord granted um, peace to Paul and he grants peace to us as we've got the opportunity to share the good news. He gave power in verse 22. God has helped me to this day. When Paul stands up, he's not standing up in his own strength and his own power. He's standing up in the power of God. And when we go to share the good news with others, we don't have to try to do this in our own strength. He who is with us, I don't remember who was praying about the Holy of Holies, um, but He's with us, right? If we're a believer, he's with us always. That was the main message from our Easter Sunday service. He's with us. He promises to be with us. And so his power is made perfect in our weakness. So we don't have to worry about how it's going to be that we're going to share. We just open our mouths and the Lord gives us the power. The Lord gave perseverance. So he gave peace. He gave power. He gave perseverance. All right, now how would you do if you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and somebody goes, you're insane. Oh, oh, you know, that reaction would probably most likely be like, well, I better be quiet then. You know, I'm not going in the right direction. But Paul, there is only one direction. And it's the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And Paul's not backing back. And so, all right, so this one has just said I'm insane. Okay. But King, King Agrippa, let me talk to you for a minute now. I'm not insane. What I'm saying actually is true and it's very reasonable. 
And he starts to focus on King Agrippa because you see King Agrippa, he was um, a Jew. He was Jewish and he was also a Roman citizen. And so he was very familiar with the prophets. He was very familiar with the sacrificial system. And so Paul wants to explain it further. I want to also say that as God gave this peace and he gave this perseverance, it's really, really remarkable. If you understand that even he's standing in this hall that was built by Herod the Great, King Agrippa's grandfather, I believe it was. Herod and the, and the family line were the ones who had um, been so threatened when Jesus was born that they ordered the killing of all the um, babies, the baby boys. And then another relative had um, beheaded John the Baptist. Another had ordered the execution of James and the imprisonment of Peter. And so this, this is the pressure that Paul would have felt that I'm standing in this place that they built and I'm standing speaking to a heritage of um, ones that have made decisions against who I'm talking about and yet he boldly and persistently and peacefully and joyfully shares the story. He loves to tell the story. And if we love Jesus, we love to tell the story. Sometimes it takes us a bit to get our courage up. And sometimes we feel it more internally. And we're wondering, how can I share this peace and this hope with my neighbor or my roommate or my classmate in school? We love to tell a story because this is a story that unlike when I love to tell the story of Dane and my meeting... Um, this encourages, it really blesses my children, but this isn't a story that when I face people that are going through difficult situations, if I come with the story of, hey, have I ever told you, like you're telling me this sad thing that's going on, I go, have I ever told you about how Dane and I met? It's really not going to be that helpful or appropriate right then. But if I tell you about Jesus and how I met Jesus, And how I've been encountering Jesus, and I witness to you about this, this is a hope and this is a family line that everybody's invited into. And so I want to tell you about being a servant and being a messenger of Jesus and how the Lord moved on me. Just as an example to encourage you, it was on Good Friday And I think I've mentioned this to you before, and I had permission to share it, that about um, the January of 2018, at the very beginning of the year, we have been praying for revival, we've been praying for our neighborhood, and um, I've been praying for peace and not violence. And the first homicide, the first murder of that year happened here on the west side. And... I was so sad about that, that that happened and it happened in our neighborhood. And anyway, then come to find out, I get called to come to the jail to minister to the person who committed this crime. And I've been meeting with Alicia off and on over the last couple of years. 
And I had gotten called um, to say that the, the, the um, oh, what do you call them? The chaplain um, reached out and asked if I could come and pay a visit this spring um, on a particular time because she was getting ready to go to trial. I met with her. And then um, there was one more reach out, like, could I come? And I said I'd come. And Dana and I tried to make it back into town on Sunday night before visiting hours were over, and it didn't work out. Um, They had already locked the door when we got there, like 15 minutes before visiting hours were over. And then I got sick, and then I went for two weeks on a sheep farm trip, and then when I got back, it's been busy. And yet, um, I can say that probably for five days in a row, I kept thinking about Alicia, and I thought, Oh, her trial, you know, she was already going to get her verdict. You know, I don't even know if she's still there. And it just, like, I kept praying for her. It just wouldn't, like, I felt like the Lord just, the Holy Spirit was just prompting me, go visit Alicia, go to the jail, go to the jail. So it's Thursday of Monday, Thursday service, and I need to have a teaching ready for Thursday night. And the prompting, be my servant, go to the jail. So I look up, yes, she's still there, so I go to the jail. I'm like, Lord, please give me a message. Give me words. What is it that you have for this time? You know, so I'm praying all the way there. I get there and um, she comes into the cubicle and she just looks absolutely despairing. And anyway, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And she's like, you know, I got convicted of second degree murder. And she goes, and this afternoon is when I'm supposed to get my verdict of like, what is my um, sentencing? Thank you. What is my sentencing? I'm going to find out this afternoon. I'm like, oh, how are you doing? Not good. And this woman is so full of scripture. She has accepted Christ. She's memorized much more scripture than many of us have in our hearts. She has been bubbling over in different times that I've seen her over the last year and a half um, of sharing the good news, sharing hope with others, other inmates and all. And in this month, after she's had her trial and waiting for sentencing, she just feels so distant from the Lord. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just thinking, Lord, what can I say? What would you have me say? How do, how do I connect with her? How do I pull her back? How, how, what do you want to do here? So I'm listening to her, but she's not really saying much. And I'm listening to the Lord, and I just feel like the Lord says, tell her about me. Tell her about me. So it's like, all right, so I'm going to witness to what Christ has been doing in me. So I just start telling her about the sheep farm and telling her about how that I watch this sheep farm and how the shepherds and the sheep and the shepherds were so good and so kind and so loving and watching over and putting them in the right pastures and all. And I can see her starting to come alive. Like who is interested in hearing about a sheep farm in Oklahoma when you're waiting to hear if you're getting 14 to 22 years? And yet the Lord starts just moving. I can see her eyes start to engage. And then I start to just tell her about what a good shepherd he is and that we can trust him and that I just have had this strong revelation of like just how much we can completely trust God to be good. And she goes, I believe that that's true, but she said, I just feel so distant lately from the Lord. 
And I said, well, you know what today is, right? And you know what tomorrow is? You know what Sunday is? It's the day that on Thursday that Jesus pulled his disciples together. On Friday, he's crucified. On Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. And then I'd start, like, I just started telling her, like, what am I testifying to? I'm telling her about my relationship with Jesus, about the details and facts of my encounter with him. And I'm telling her the good news that comes from scripture about what Jesus endured on that cross to pay for our sins. And that he did it for her and he did it for me and he did it for us. In any way, and as I tell her about what he endured and that he could have at any moment called a thousand angels and he could have been released from that, but he endured this and he took this to forgive us for our sins. And we have good news to share. And she just is fully engaged as she listens to what Jesus did. And she said, yes, I believe that. And, I, and then the Lord gave me a word for her, a calling. And I said, I believe in 10 years, you're going to be looking into the eyes of somebody just like I'm looking in right now. And you're going to bring the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're going to respond and it's going to give them hope and it's going to give them purpose. And they too are going to rise up and start telling. And I said, this is a call for you. Do you believe this? Do you accept this call? This is before she knows. This isn't like a contingent thing. Like, I'll accept the call to Jesus if I get off or if I get a light sentence. She may be looking at 22 years. And she says, I'll do it. I'll live for Jesus. I'll tell him. Friends, when when we hear the good, good news and the good story of Jesus and his love, we it, it revives us. The Kates talked about being revived. They're hearing the gospel preached about what Jesus did because he wants to not only save us from our sins, but there is, he's going to bring a renewing and ushering in of a whole new creation. Perfect. Beautiful. And this time that we'll have for eternity of enjoying a relationship with God, our creator. After that visit, the man, professional visitor, on my right in the next cubicle comes over to me and he says, thank you. I listened to everything you said to her. I needed to hear this today. Friends, we cannot orchestrate the details. We don't know why maybe we're getting called to the hospital or why we're working in a job that we don't really like or we don't understand. Paul was maybe where, like, I would, because he said, I want you to be everything that I am, this prayer. I want you to become everything that I am, a witness and a servant of Jesus, except for the chains. We may not like some of the circumstances that we're in, but has it ever occurred to you? That God may have you right there for this time because there's somebody that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true, it satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. And I'm going to change this to plural. We love to tell the story 
Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time we hear it more wonderfully sweet. We love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. We love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory we sing the new, new song, it'll be the old, old story that we have loved so long. We love to tell the story. It'll be our theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a story that can invite every person in every situation that we encounter. It brings hope. And we pray that you would fill us with your love, that you would fill us with faith in what you've done, and that you would fill our mouths with what we've seen and known from you so that we can share this old, old story to those all around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.